0: it is so good to be with you today Uh, whether you're uh, at home or on vacation wherever you're at it's good to be able to do some church together and i cannot wait to be back together again next week sunday so if you've not already look at the next couple of weeks see if you want to do a 901 1101 101 service come here definitely save your seat go to overflowchurch.org regather that's how you can do that We miss you, because it's been like three, four months since we've all hung out together, so it would be great to do that again. So by all means, definitely do that. If you're someone who's still a little uncomfortable being out in public in large spaces, totally cool. We understand that. We will still provide a high-quality online experience for you, uh, but we just want to make sure that you know you have the option of hanging out with us in person. So next week, just like we're doing this week, we'll be in our series, Things I Wish Jesus Didn't Say. It's interesting to me that we freely associate Jesus with, you know, gentleness, kindness, uh, peace, love, grace, things like that. And, and we should, because Jesus is all of those things to their fullest extent. But Jesus also, when he taught, it wasn't always this like super, hey, love you, man, you're great, kind of a deal. He also taught just really sometimes difficult, but other times just challenging material, no matter what happens, especially in the Sermon on the Mount that we're continuing to look at this morning, Jesus calls us to a higher level. No matter what it is, Jesus is just not content to see us stay like we are. Jesus wants to see where we're at and then bring us up a notch. And so this morning, we're going to read a passage that does that to us again. So turn in your Bibles, if you got it with you, or if you're online, we provided a Bible on that sidebar if you're on our platform to Matthew chapter 5 we're going to start in verse 31. I do want to give you a heads up uh, just as we're about to get these things started here that we will be taking communion at the end of service and so if this is catching you off guard that's okay. Uh, Take a second go find some bread or some juice whatever you might have around uh, in the house or near you. Uh, and we'll do that at the end of this sermon. But I didn't want to catch you off guard, so we will be taking communion uh, at the end of this. So feel free in the next couple of minutes to get that stuff around for you and your family and whoever's with you. With that all being said, let's look at what Jesus has to say in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You've also heard it said that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. I am incredibly biased about this passage, so rather than pretending like it's not there, I'll just be honest with you and tell you what it is. I hate divorce. Namely because my parents are divorced. I remember the like, constant fighting that would happen in our home, and I remember as a 13-year-old boy having to write a letter to a judge stating which one of my parents I would prefer to live with, and then upon hearing it read, one of my parents correcting the grammar I used. And then after all things were said and done, after everybody split, went their separate ways, I didn't get to see my dad for an entire year. It's a gap in my life. But I'm not the only one. See, depending on whatever statistics you're finding, it's a general range they give. But for first marriages in America today, in the last couple of years, the average divorce rate is between 40 and 45%. Now, on the good side, since the 80s, that's been going down. It did used to be that 50% number, but now it's a little bit lower than that. But That's still an incredibly high number. And that's for first marriages. I mean, second and third marriages, it just goes up exponentially the likelihood of divorce. But either way, whether it's, you know, my story or like a statistic, it doesn't really feel real uh, to you, But the reality is, anytime a divorce happens, it's a tragedy, Like, imagine this. Imagine you're, you know, a young guy, uh, and, you know, you try dating, and it's just like, it's a rough go of it because the dating market's just a weird situation anyway, because you're all like, do I actually like you, but I have to go and pay for dinner for you to see if you're cool, right? It's kind of weird. And let's say, you you go on that for a while, and it's like, okay, nothing's really working out, but then you find one that does, and you're like, okay, this might be the girl, okay? cool. All right. And then you keep going on. You're like, "Mm, I'm going to propose, which by the way, is one of the most nerve wracking experiences for anybody. Even if you know what the answer is going to be, still grates on your nerves like crazy. But then you get on one knee and she says yes. And then you start playing the rest of your lives together. And then uh, you get going and you get this, you know, wedding registry, which if you're in that season of life, take advantage of that. It's the only time in your life where your friends, family, and people who barely know you will voluntarily pay extra money for the highest quality object that you registered for. Definitely take advantage of that. That's why my wife and I have a stand mixer in our kitchen. But then you go through the registry, you go through Target, Amazon, whatever, sometimes they give you those little like receipt guns where you're like going through a store like melon baller, pots, pans, bedspread, whatever. Right, and then you get to the wedding day, and then in front of your friends, family, coworkers, and again, people who barely know you, but you wanted them to buy you something, so you invited them, so they'd take something off the registry. Right, and then in front of a bunch of other people, you're like, for better or worse, rich or poor, sick, health, no matter what happens, I'm with you. And then someone changes their mind. In front of friends, family, you made vows that's like, no matter what happens, I'm with you and then you're not. That is the definition of betrayal, when you give someone your word and then you break it. And it's an awful experience for everybody involved. Because intrinsically as humans, we know that when we say something, it should mean something. When we say, I'm with you, that means I'm with you. When I say I'm with you forever, that means forever. But when that breaks down... It hurts. When we say something, we have to mean it. And that's what Jesus is getting after with this passage. See, Jesus' statement here on divorce is pretty strong, right? He says, hey, unless someone has cheated on someone else, as in like got in bed and slept with someone you're not married to, that's the only grounds we're given for divorce, which admittedly is the strictest statement the Bible has to say on divorce. Even Jesus in the other gospels is a touch more lenient than this, but it's a technique, uh, it's called hyperbole, but it's, just, it's the most exaggerated form of what you believe in order to make a point, right? And we know that this, okay, we know what's going on here. Uh, there's a reason that we're not all one-armed cyclopses, Right? There's places in the Bible where Jesus says, if your arm causes you to sin, tear it off. If your eye causes you to sin, rip it out. Hey, if you cause someone else uh, who's a believer to make a mistake, drown yourself in a lake. Right? We know that we're not supposed to actually go tie an upper millstone around our neck and dive into the Sea of Galilee. But it's the same technique that he's using here. Here's the deal. This passage about divorce specifically is not meant to give us a valid list of reasons as to why we can get a divorce. That was what Jesus' audience was looking for, but it's not what he gave them. See, in Jesus' day, there were two rabbinical schools, I mean, two rabbis, really strong teachers of the law that really had a couple of uh, big followings. One was a guy named Hillel. And he was the super chill dude. Uh, His thought and his whole group of people thought that uh, a man could get a divorce. By the way, we're all saying men can get a divorce because at this time in the first century, women didn't have that right, which is why this is written men first as far as like men don't divorce your wives. But if it were written today, it would be men, women, whoever don't divorce your wives. But Hillel, our good buddy Hillel, decided that you could get a divorce for basically any reason. Right? If she just didn't make you happy anymore, if, if she did break a law, whatever, or if it just was inconvenient now, divorce for any reason, whatever. The other school in the day was a, led by a guy named Shammai, and he said, How about we not divorce our wives for any reason? Let's make a really short list and go with that. Jesus rejects both of these and says, No, no, there's like a valid grounds for this, but that's not the point. By taking it to a higher level, Jesus says, I'm not here to tell you a valid list of reasons why you can get a divorce from your spouse should they no longer make you happy. Instead, Jesus calls us to a higher level of faithfulness. See, because you can't do anything in life, much less be successfully married, if you're only worried about the list of things you can't do. Right, first of all, it's an incredibly long list. Like when your wife walks on and asks, does this dress make me look fat? No. Uh, And, you know, do you keep your word? Yes, but also like, do you like not insult people? Do you not uh, ignore people? All those kinds of things. Like the list gets very, very long, very, very quickly of things you need to avoid. It's very hard and you become very legalistic if you're only looking at things you have to avoid. Instead of that, Jesus is drawing our attention to, okay, rather than focusing on that, Let's focus on what we're actually driving at, which is being faithful to our spouses. It's a lot easier, and it's actually a lot more freeing to think of it that way, because rather than the big to-don't list, you have, hey, okay, today I'm going to love my wife as best as I can. First of all, to not commit adultery is incredibly easy not to do, right? That takes a lot of effort to commit adultery, But beyond that, even asking yourself, okay, what is one thing I can do today that would show my spouse that I care about them? That's easier than this whole list of stuff to avoid. And if you do this thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to try to love my spouse the best I can, you end up avoiding most of these things. Convenient, but also super simple. See, yes, it's a lot harder Uh, at least in our minds, to live in a world where Jesus says, let's not like preload divorce into what your options are for marriage, but instead focus on being faithful. Sure, it's a more difficult way to live because you feel like your freedoms are a little bit reduced because that's how we think about things now, but it's a whole lot better. Now, I would... uh, be missing several things if I didn't tell you, you know, the rest of what the Bible has to say as far as reasons uh, that divorce is valid, or at least what the rest of the Christian community has to say. So here we go. Uh, First, this is the most strict that the Bible gets as far as basically only adultery. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is another passage which you can read on your own time. It's a little bit longer, but it's it's very, very healthy to read uh, where, okay, like if your spouse leaves you, that's not your fault things like that. Uh, We are a Wesleyan church here at Overflow, and in the Wesleyan discipline, which is the little thin red book of all the things we believe in the tiniest type font you've ever seen, uh, you have to get like a magnifying glass to read it, uh, cases of abuse that cannot be solved any other way is also considered a valid grounds for divorce. Basically, we don't want to put you in a situation where your life is going to be absolutely horrible with no hope of getting better. That all being said, again, I need to remind you, the focus here is not valid reasons to divorce, but be faithful. Because when we say something, it should mean something. When we say in our vows, like if you're married, think about the vows that you made to your spouse. Uh, Abby and I went with the super generic ones because I thought they were pretty much covered everything, but you know, better, worse, rich, poor, sickness, health, whatever happens, right? I mean, whatever happens kind of covers everything. I'm with you. So even if it's, More helpful to do this, maybe when you wake up in the morning, once in a while, just reread your vows, what you actually said to someone else, and then just go for that. Because when we make a vow, we have to stick to our word. Or when we say things, it'll stop meaning anything. And that's what Jesus carries on with in this next part of the passage in verse 33. He says this, you've also heard, that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, don't even make any. Uh, Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. Don't swear by the earth or by Jerusalem. Uh, Do not even say by my head, because you can't change the color of your hair. Just say a simple yes or no. Anything beyond that is from the evil one. Now, when Jesus says vows here, he's not talking about marriage vows. He's made a slight shift. Uh, Your translation might say oaths. Uh, Both are valid. That means the same thing. But the reasons that people would do this in the ancient world is that people, they wanted just to get them to believe them, right? And so when they were making either like a business deal, like a bigger one of those, or sometimes, you know, marriage, but it was one of the least common Oaths people would make, or like a covenant to a God, or a promise to a God, or to one another, or to your neighbor about like a boundary marker, whatever it is, you would be like, okay, this is what I'm saying, and here's a bunch of things I'm gonna swear by so that you believe me. And Jesus says that whole system is inherently flawed because if they didn't believe you when you gave your word, you did something wrong. If we have to convince people that we're actually telling them the truth by saying more than yes or no, We've done something wrong. Jesus is super basic here. He's just like, hey, say what you mean and do it. Which does seem like a very simple way to live your life, objectively. Say what you mean and do it. And interestingly enough, like, uh, all these things that Jesus lists here in the passage are, are things that, okay, don't swear by heaven or earth uh, or Jerusalem, right? Because they're all things that God owns anyway, Right? Obviously, God owns the heavens, but He also owns the earth. He owns uh, cities and everything that's in them. Uh, But also, then He's like, hey, don't even swear by my noggin, right? Uh, Because you can't turn one of your hairs white or black. Uh, The reason He says white or black is because He's in the Middle East. Everybody's hair is black. God's even in charge of the aging process, the only way that that would turn white in the ancient world. All these things that you possibly could swear an oath by are like, all these things that you could promise somebody that uh, you would do for them or or things that you would possibly make a wager on, God owns anyway. So especially if we're like in prayer going, God, I promise by, you know, X, Y, Z, by like whatever, um, or I'll actually tithe if you do this for me. uh, That's really weird to swear by something that God already owns. Again, Jesus' point is just, Be super basic about it. Just say what you mean. Do that. The University of Michigan, they've done some interesting studies on people's social behavior. Uh, The foremost scientist of this group is a guy named Roger Turingo, which I'm 98% sure that's how you pronounce his name. Um, And they've studied, okay, in human communication, how often do people lie? How often do they tell the truth? What are reasons for these things going on? And because you obviously can't strap a polygraph to 350 million people in America, they've had to estimate it based off of the best research they've done over the last decade. And they've come to this conclusion. About one-third of the time in real life, people are lying. A third. To put a little perspective on that, let's say I preach for 30 minutes. Ten minutes of it was false. False hopefully that's not the case, and I'm making a lot of effort to make sure that that's not true. But if a third of our communication is actually a lie, what are we doing? Now, most of what they've found is that it's what we call like white lies, like those inoffensive things that we don't really care about. Like, how are you doing? Good. How do you feel? Fine. Does this rest make me look fat? Nope. Uh, and things like that. But then there's also the uh, it's a bigger category that they discovered, which is also like these socially acceptable things. So if someone asks you how you think or feel about something and you know that a different answer than what's actually true will be more socially acceptable, you'll say that instead. Which also is a form of lying because it's not what you actually think or feel. The bottom line being our actions need to start lining up with our words. If you don't feel good on a given day, obviously we know not to like offload all of our problems on random strangers, but also be like, yeah, you know, today's not great, but we're getting through. That's a better answer than I'm doing great, if you're not. But also when we say th- something, it should mean something. Because the truth that you do not live is a truth you don't believe. So let's say that I believe that the Chicago Cubs are the absolute best baseball team on the face of the earth. But every time they play the St. Louis Cardinals, I bet on the Cardinals. I don't actually believe the Cubs are the best, otherwise that's where I would have wagered. If you say you are a Christian, yet your life doesn't look like Jesus, do you actually believe that? Now, belief is not just like thinking some thoughts, okay? Belief is not mental assent to some truths that someone else said once in a while. Uh, Belief is not repeating a prayer after someone that kind of like emotionally guilted me into praying it. No, no, belief is not any of those things. Belief is like mind conviction into whatever you're going after, but it is also your actions based upon that. When Christians are around, Lonely neighbors and dusty Bibles shouldn't be a thing. Another form of oath that we have as Christians is baptism, right? A baptized believer is someone who has said, in effect, the old me is dead. I drowned it in a tub or a lake or wherever you did that. But the new me that obeys Jesus all the time as best I can is alive. And that's the no turning back, come hell, high water, no matter what happens to me, I'm with Jesus moment. If you're a baptized believer, you're committed for life. Which is why I never try to emotionally guilt someone into baptism. It's a huge commitment. Like, that's the no turning back moment. It's also saying whatever community you were baptized into can hold you accountable to the things you just committed to. Now, we're going to have another opportunity for you to do that. So if you're interested in baptism, August 2nd, we are going to have our lake baptism. we are going to be a little bit creative. Obviously, we'll do some social distancing. We'll only have a limited people at the uh, beach. You know, people are actually getting baptized and then like some close household members, stuff like that. Uh, but We'll also stream it on Facebook uh, so you can watch that as well. But it's another opportunity for you to get baptized if you are ready for that kind of commitment. If you're still on the fence, take your time. I personally don't need you to get baptized on August 2. I sure would love it if you did. But August 2, if you're going to get baptized in the lake, means from this moment on, the old me, I'm going to drown it in the lake. And the new me the me that follows Jesus no matter what, that's the only one left. But we'll have another opportunity for you to do that August 2nd. But all of this boiled down to, so all these things Jesus said about like divorce and faithfulness, carrying out your vows, yes, no, be super basic about it. Like when you say yes, you should mean yes, no should mean no. Here's what we can all boil down to. Only say things that you're going to do today. If someone asks you to do something, let's say Abby comes up to me later and is like, hey, will you take out the trash? Uh, If I say yes, it needs to be done today, so that when, you know, we go to bed, she's not surprised when she wakes up in the morning and whatever has been, food products been thrown in there are stinking up the kitchen. That shouldn't be a thing. Or if you say no, it should mean that, no, I'm not going to do that. But if someone asks you to do something or your boss is like, hey, I've got a project for you. Can you take this on? And you can't, what you can say is no, but I would love to do that on Wednesday or Thursday, whenever you actually have time to be able to get to it, rather than saying yes, and then not be able to get to it for a while. But only say things that you're going to do today. It'll be weird, it'll be different, because we're used to just kind of saying yes, to get people to like us, or agree with us, or uh, to just think better about us in general, and to make them happy. But also, if we actually work through this whole, okay, I'm just going to say yes when I mean yes, no when I mean no. It'll be weird because everyone is used to how often we add a bunch of stuff onto that to actually commit to that. But by like Thursday or Friday this week, people will start being like, oh, when she says yes, she actually means she's going to do that. When he says no, he's actually not going to do that. It actually means something when they say that. People will trust you more when you stick to your word. To really seal this for us, we're going to go into a time of communion. You see, communion is this moment where we remember a God who kept his word. Way back in Genesis chapter 15, God said, if either you or me breaks this covenant, I'll die for the both of us. We know that covenant got broken, and God, true to his word, in the person of Jesus, came and died on our behalf because we were the ones that broke that covenant. And so on the last night of Jesus' life before he was betrayed and put on a cross, Jesus, instead of hiding off by himself only or, or trying to, like, live it up because he got one more night, he decided to take 12 of his best buds together and had a meal. See, one thing I love about what Jesus did here is Jesus didn't be like, hey, let me see if I can kind of delegate this out or or if I can just kind of like work this out some other way. Uh, He did ask God, but just the two of them, and God was like, nope, you got to do this. And he's like, cool, I'm on board. Jesus decided to lead from the front. Jesus took bread and he said, this is my Body broken for you. And he took the cup and said, This is my blood of the new covenant poured out on your behalf. Do this as often as you might in remembrance of me. And so hopefully you've had. Uh, an opportunity to get some kind of bread or juice. We'll have a a minute here where you can do that as well while we go into prayer and and worship here at the end of service. But we'll pray and we'll take communion and do this on in remembrance of a God who kept his word as a reminder to us to keep our word. Let's pray. God, thank you for today today is a privilege to get to be yours. Today is a wonderful opportunity, again, to remind ourselves of what you have said and how you call us to live. God, for the times that we know on purpose that we've lied to other people or that we haven't kept up our end of the bargain or we've just uh, said things because we thought other people would like it better than what we actually think, forgive us for those times where we have lacked truth. God, help us to be people who are wholly committed to you. No turning back. God, there is nothing better in this world than getting to be your child. Yes, you call us to a higher standard of life. Yes, it is a more difficult life to be a Christian. But it is a far, far better one life with the Father, life with you, God, is the best thing we could ever receive. So God, we love you. We thank you. We do this. We take communion in remembrance of you and we ask all of the things that we have prayed today in the name of Jesus. Amen.